hopefully that right there is a little bit better. Um, we've been in the middle of a series called The Stories of Christmas, and we've looked at some, some more hidden stories uh, that are not really examined around the story of Christmas. And today, um, today I'm not going to talk about some hidden person in the story of Christmas and their relationship to the Christmas story, but today I want to talk about Jesus because I feel like we're celebrating Jesus, we're celebrating what he has done, and he's the most central part of the story. It all revolves around him, and every character that we've looked at, every person we've talked about, um, there is something in common with them. They are all facing, or their attention is placed toward what God is doing in that story. Have you ever noticed that? All of their attention revolves around one key thing, Jesus. And so I want to remind us today of the central piece to all of the stories of Christmas, including your own story. That central piece should be Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the main attraction, sitting as that centerpiece of every story that surrounds it. Your last year, whenever you look back and think about your life, there may be some things that have happened, but if Jesus is not the center of that year, you're coming into a new year where you need to adjust some things and make sure Jesus becomes the center of your life and becomes the focus of all of your attention because it really is all about him. This entire book hinges on Jesus Christ, on nothing else. This Everything revolves around him and points to him. And so whether it's Zacharias, Anna, Mary, Joseph, or any other figure you read about in the scripture, their attention is always toward heaven's work, an answer for humanity's lost state, the main attraction, Jesus Christ. Nothing should change in that reality. Jesus must be the center of it all. You think about the shepherds. To the shepherds, he was a savior. He was Christ. He was Lord. That's what the angel proclaimed to them, Luke chapter 2, verse 11. And I'll spend most of my time in Luke chapter 2 if you want to put your finger there. It says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The shepherds, when they came and they found their way to that manger, they found their way to that place in Bethlehem where he was to be born. They came seeking a Savior. All that we understand by the biblical account is that these unnamed shepherds, we don't know their names, we just know they were shepherds. They were the first ones to be made aware of the Savior's arrival outside of that immediate family. They were the first ones to find out, and it happened in a very dramatic sense. They heard that God is doing some great things. The angel appears to them and gives them a message that right now it's happening in the city of David in Bethlehem. There is being born a Savior. The answer that everyone has been waiting on is coming. A Savior is born. And if you want to see what God is up to, then you can go to the city where he is born. Can I tell you that the Lord never does anything in secret? He doesn't. It's always out in the open. 
Now, he may give you some messages in secret. He may give you some promises in secret, but he doesn't hide the things that he's doing because he's too glorious for that. He's too glorious to hide what he is really doing. This week, a friend of mine called me and just, he had to tell me about this great thing. Their church has struggled through this year. I praise God that God has blessed this church through this year, and it's largely in part because you have been faithful in giving and tithing. But he was telling me, he said, you know, God's been good all this year, but it hasn't been exceptional. And how many of us can say that? God is good all the time. There are sometimes he's exceptional, it feels like. But he said, you know, this, this man in his church, a few years ago, he invested in this company $7,000. It's a company that provides soap bars to hotels. Just $7,000. Well, this coming year, they decided that the business had grown. He is a silent partner. The owners, the actual people owning, would decided they were going to get out of it and sell and make a move toward the end of this year. The sale went through. And his portion that he was giving a portion to the church in tithing and offering was $1.2 million. And my friend, was he just had to tell somebody. He was shocked. I mean, how... Whenever somebody calls you over and hands, you know, gives the church a $120,000 check, you kind of notice that. That doesn't just get, you know, oh, well, thank you, see ya. It gets noticed. But more amazing is to think about the blessing and the way God blesses. $1.2 million out of a $7,000 investment, that man probably thought, I'll at least make my $7,000 back. But that's, that's what God does. He can be exceptional sometimes and He doesn't do things hidden. And you should talk about the things that God is doing in your life. You should open up your voice and share what God is doing. These shepherds, they were the low class. These are common folk. Don't don't get it messed up in your mind thinking shepherd is something attractive. It's never put out as something being attractive. This is like minimum wage job. They're common folk. They're on the low end of the totem pole. And the Lord chooses these common people. You know who I'm going to have my angel appear to and give the message that the Savior is born? I'm going to go to common people. And how many of us thought, I'm just nothing special? Or you think I'm just a common run-of-the-mill person? Well, guess what? He came for the common. Common people facing common life issues with common sins, common struggles. He came as a Lord and Savior for the common. That's who he came for. The common have no chance without this Savior. And Peter had it right in Acts 4 and 12. He said, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, which by we must be saved. No other salvation. There is nothing else. And so these common shepherds with common struggles and common problems, they hear an answer is being born. And the shepherds finally locating this babe, they probably thought they were walking into something real impressive. I mean, wouldn't you think? You just had the most impressive experience of your life. You're standing out there with your staff, and sheep, and you're talking to your buddy, and you know, the sheep are in front of you, and all of a sudden, boom, light, an angel, 
Everybody's afraid. The angel says, don't be afraid. I've got good news. Now you leave that and you travel however far you have to go to get to where this Savior is at. And you're thinking, man, can't wait. Probably talked about, what is it going to be like? What do you think we're going to find? Get there. And it's a baby. Just another baby. Seems to be just another baby. Baby's not doing anything special. Laying there, probably occasionally crying, keeping mom and dad up, not letting them get any rest. Seems very common. But at some point in their interaction, finding this Savior, these shepherds who'd seen an angel and heard him say, today a Savior is born in the city of David, probably ask, hey, Dad, what'd you name him? Well, Jesus, his, his name is Jesus. What's interesting about that name is that name was common. It was a normal name. There was a lot. There were a lot of Jesuses walking around. It's the equivalent of using the name Joshua. It was a common name, but it was attached to an uncommon person, an anointed one, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, Jesus. And he came to common people as a common man with a common name to do an uncommon work. He was a Savior. He was anointed. He was the King of kings and Lord of lords. He was God manifest in the flesh. But he came for the common. He came for you and I. He came for what we were doing right now. He came for the day that you're going to face tomorrow. He came for the most mundane day that you had in your last week. That's the day he came for. He came for the common with an uncommon purpose. To the wise men, he was the king of the Jews, the Christ, a ruler. That's what they came looking for. Matthew 2, 2 through 6 tells us the story. They say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled at all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them whether the Christ was where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. These wise men sought a king. They were seeking a ruler. They were seeking an authority. They were seeking a figure who would stand above all others. But when they found him, he was just a toddler about the age of 18 months. And his age, his dependence on his mother, his father, him toddling around, falling into the furniture and picking himself up, doing all the things that 18-month-old toddlers do, getting into things that he probably should not be getting into, And mom and dad were doing the snap, Jesus. How many of y'all did that? That was my favorite thing, my son, Wyatt. He'd crawl over to something, snap that finger. Look, 
He looked. He knew that snap. And I, I feel bad. I almost trained him. Now even we can be in a very busy place. And if I raise my hand and snap, he'll stop and look back. And he's a teenager now. But, well, I don't know if I'm, I may be proud of that too, though, that I trained that. Anyway, all of these things about this toddler, this 18-month-old, they did not change who he was. He appeared common. But even in his appearance, he was king of the Jews. Much more even, he was king of kings and lord of lords. And the term king, it was not borrowed from humanity. A king is sovereign in his kingdom, having complete and total authority. Herod understood what was implied in the title. That's why Herod was disturbed. He said, there's a king? I don't need someone competing against me. I don't need someone trying to take authority from me. And so he took action to stop this king. You think about the ministry of Jesus. During his ministry, he exercised authority in every sphere known to man. Every universal law was under his control. He commanded the storm to stop and it did. He commanded waves to cease and they did. He commanded everything. And when he spoke, he took authority and it happened. Why? Because he had authority. Every authority was given unto him. He was made king. It was under the control of his powerful hand, the material the physical, the mental, the moral, the emotional, the supernatural. He commanded them all, and he could say without question, as he did, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Jesus is the king. And that word power, it's exousia. It means authority, jurisdiction, right, liberty, power, strength. It means that whenever he speaks, he is in complete control, and it happens. So your illness that you're facing... He's in control. He has authority. You just need him to speak. With that emotional turmoil that you may be going through, he has authority in that. He can speak into that. It doesn't matter what you're facing, whatever pain in your life, if Jesus speaks into it, he has authority. He is the king. He's the king of your illness. He's the king of your emotional turmoil. He's the king of your pain. He's the king over the bondage of sin and of death. He is the king. He needs no other help and no other authority. He has authority over it. And these wise men, seeking a king, found an 18-month-old toddler who was indeed king. And at some point in that ordained meeting with those parents, watching this 18-month-old clamber around and probably expecting something. I mean, they had gifts fit for a king. If they're like me, they had to have built up some kind of idea of how it was going to go. They present these gifts. I imagine they finally ask this tired mom, what's his name? And this loving, proud mother responded, Jesus. Jesus is his name. And they may have even thought, well, that's, that's really common. He was, com- he was coming for common people with an uncommon purpose. 
Simeon saw him as the salvation, the glory of Israel, the light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon had been promised to see the Messiah before his death. And when he sought him and looked for him, he was looking for salvation. He was looking for the glory of Israel. He was looking for light to revelation of the Gentiles. That's what he was looking for. But when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus, 40 days old, I wonder what Simeon was expecting to see when he finally saw the Messiah. But Simeon took Jesus in his arms and blessed God, then blessed Mary and Joseph, and said, now I can die in peace. But imagine at some point, Simeon probably asked these new parents, what would you name him? Still marveling at what Simeon had just proclaimed these two parents answer him and say, Jesus. His name is Jesus. And every day after that, Simeon would talk. He would say, I've seen the Messiah. I've seen the glory of God. I've seen the glory of Israel. What's his name? It's a common name. Jesus. But he's not common. There's something different. To Joseph, he was Emmanuel, God with us. And after a silence from heaven of 400 years, many began to question if God was even involved with humanity at all. But the birth of this baby gives assurance God is with us. He was always the Lord. He was always king. He was always the glory of Israel. But God choosing to manifest himself in flesh, becoming savior, salvation, and light to the Gentiles, he became the sign that God is with us. Isaiah 7.14 said as much, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. What will be his name? His name is Jesus. Mary, when she heard the angel say, He shall be the Son of God, the Son of the Highest. But his name needs to be Jesus. The only time the term Son of God had been used prior to this was when Nebuchadnezzar had witnessed three Hebrew boys thrown into a fiery furnace. And when he looked in, in verse 25, he says, Look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. They're not hurt. The form of the fourth is like the Son of God. He's referred to often as Son throughout Scripture. There are seven, seven, seven different terms used in speaking of Him in Sonship. Son of Abraham, Son of David, Son of the Most High, Son of God, Son of Man, Son of Mary, Son of a Carpenter. But each one of these things identify Him in some way. He's called the son of Abraham because it identifies him with the Hebrew people. He's called the son of David because it identifies him with royalty and king. He's called the son of the Most High because it identifies him with absolute authority. He's called the son of God because he's identified as essential deity. And it's easy for us to understand those things. After all, he is God manifest in the flesh. Son of man identifies him with all of humanity. You and me, common. 
Son of Mary identifies him with flesh and blood because he became real flesh and blood. Son of Carpenter identifies him with the thing that should be relatable to all of us. Labor and toil and struggle and trying to scratch a life out. I'm talking to you today, and I want you to understand the centerpiece of this story. It is God doing a work, but it's not just God doing a work. It's God coming and working in common, the common thing, a common name, a common baby doing an uncommon thing. He came to common people as a common man, common name in the common world to do an uncommon work. That's a Savior. That's a Savior. It's whenever you look at your life and you think, God, I'm so far from the ideal of what I think my life should be like to be pleasing to you. God came for that common. God came for that thing that you call normal and the thing that you call uninteresting and the thing that you call the thing that God would have no interest in, that he ignores that part of your life. That's what he came for. He came for common. He came for common people, you and I. And he came to work in common situations. And he came to work in common everyday challenges. And he came to work in every part of life that we see as just being mundane. That's what he came for. How many of us fall into this trap? And I'm getting ready to end. We get into the trap of asking God to intervene, to do something, to answer a prayer. And then we step back and we over-spiritualize it or we look for the big, miraculous, cataclysmic event that's going to jump out at us. I do that. But sometimes it's just in the common things that God works and is most effective in my life. If I have great prayer times with God and I only do it five or six times over my lifetime, that's not having a relationship with God. But if I go every day and I pray and 70% of those days, I don't feel like I ever touched the throne room of God. 70% of those days, I don't feel like I ever break through. 70% of those days, I open this Bible and You know, there's too many other things weighing on my mind. And I don't get everything out of this that I could. He's working in that 70%. And I would even go as far as to say that he's doing more in that 70% than in those other times where I feel like God really showed up today. Because God shows up every day. He shows up in the common. He shows up in the average. He shows up in the regular. The financial blessing of God in your life is not going to come in a $100,000 bonus. The blessing in your life of a miracle, it may not come 
when somebody walks in and you get goose pimples on your body because they prayed the right prayer at the right moment the right time it may just come through your doctor looking at you and saying change some of these things and then God starts to work had a cousin who had cancer she was waiting on God to give her healing and a man came through ministering in their church and she had not went to a specialist they she had went to doctors and they she knew it was wrong she was getting some some forms of treatment but there was a particular specialist that they were trying to get her to go to that specialized in her type of cancer and she kept saying well God's going to heal me God's going to heal me God's going to heal me this guy came through preaching ministering and he said said to her and most of you have been here for a while uh, you've heard this story because she spoke it here but the man said to her and said you know, maybe God's going to use this specialist to do what he wants to do in your life. That's been 30, 20-something years ago, 25 to 30 years ago. She's never had cancer again. God used a common thing to give her healing. What we would say is common. We wouldn't see that as a miracle. Maybe. She definitely sees it as a miracle. God uses the common. God works in your common. This next year, going into the year, I want you to look at every common thing and say, this is an opportunity for God to work right here. This is where God is working. This is where God is doing something in my life. It's in these common things. And the common is doing something uncommon the Lord gave him a common name. God gave him a common name. But even though his name was common, it was exalted. Philippians 2.9, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. He had a common name, but that name was elevated. You may be common. You may have common problems, but God can work in that common and he can elevate it. If you'll stand with me, I want someone to understand that God is working in your common. He is working in your common. Praise God. Praise God. Let's worship the Lord for just a moment. Why don't you take whatever it is you've been struggling with, the trial you've been facing, the common thing you think, well, God's probably not interested in this. Why don't you surrender it to him and say, God, I know that you're present in this. I I know that you're showing up in this. And God, I'm going to trust you in it. I'm going to trust you in it, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 We're going to get ready to worship the Lord with our candlelight. We're going to sing the song, O Come, All Ye Faithful. How many of us can say, we've struggled this year, but I'm being faithful. I'm trusting God. I'm going to let God work in my life, in my life.